yeah, I'd love to hear more about your story. Well, you know, I like to tell people mine kind of began as that little girl from Remember the Titans. Um, if, if you're familiar with that movie, yeah. the coach's daughter and how she follows him around, watches game film. That literally, the old timey, you know, projectors that they used, that yeah. literally was myself with my dad. Um, my dad was a football coach and baseball coach as I was growing up. And I really felt my second home was the dugout and the field house. Um, just was fascinated by the sport. Um, wanted to play baseball. Growing up in the small town I did, early on there wasn't many opportunities for females to play sports. So I didn't understand why I couldn't play baseball. Um, but I was kind of the dugout manager, even as a eight, eight year old girl and take, keeping the stats and talking to the guys and uh, so that just, I've always been around sports, always loved sports, ended up playing basketball and tennis in high school and then college, and just always had my hands in sports. People ask me what I like to do. I like to watch sports. I like to talk about sports. I like to be involved in sports. Um, you could say I'm obsessed. So I became men and women's tennis coach at a small, at that time, D2 and we transferred to Division One, uh, University of South Carolina. It was Spartanburg, and we changed the name to Upstate. And as a coach, I, I wanted to figure out how to make my athletes better. And I knew growing up that I was never the fastest, strongest, smartest, but I had success. And that was because I was always physically in shape, and I had a mental toughness about me. So, okay, how do I create that with these athletes? And so for the first 10 years of coaching, it was very informal. At that time, there wasn't much online or many books about the mental game or mindsets or confidence, but I was just hungry to find out anything I could. Met a man named Dr. Patrick Colm. He's in Florida. And he's kind of, was kind of one of the forefathers, I guess, of sports psychology and got certified under him thinking that was just going to help me with my team and eventually I think all of us coaches always have an exit strategy of what's our next career and so it was an easy slide into a mental game coach um, so that's what I do now and people will say well what does that entail um, I get to watch sports that's that's my job to watch sports to learn read about sports to learn to share with athletes and teams and parents and administrators that I work with. So I have the best job in America. That is awesome. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> that is really cool. I love it. I actually, you know, it's interesting because that's what I found is in my coaching, you know, I, my focus has always been working with entrepreneurs and last year what i found is i had a mastermind every wednesday and on our mastermind i had it structured time-wise that i would do it from our film room at the school and then as soon as it was done i'd go out to practice but always what happened because at the beginning of our mastermind i'd spend the first 15 20 minutes teaching something and my assistant coach was in the mastermind group. And so he was always in there and we'd go out there after practice. And he's like, you got to teach these girls what you just talked about. 
So here I am focused on entrepreneurs and then all of a sudden I'm out here teaching these, this high school team, the same concepts and stuff. And so this last year, this last, I don't know, three, four months, I was working on a course, creating a course, I call it high achievers mindset secrets. And when I started it, it was focused on entrepreneurs. But then as I got going with it, I'm like, man, this is just as good for athletes. And so I created an athlete side of it too. And, you know, I've been working with some trainers and stuff and they, they bring in the people they train and go through the course. And so it's been really cool. So it keeps me tied in on the athletic side too. And I love it. Well, well, it's all, you know, applicable to any area, you know, yeah. I, you don't use it now, use it when you get into the business world or use it in, you know, school or, but it's just, I like the arena and the vehicle of sports to get those messages across you know that that's in fact maybe that's something if you don't mind talk on that a little bit because i talked about that on my podcast the other day on you know as an athlete the lessons you learn as an athlete and especially of doing hard things that help you as an adult that help you as a business person that help you in all those things you want to share your thoughts on that yeah, definitely. I, I think you're, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't like the general stereotype idea that athletes necessarily make the best business leaders or employees. I think typically they do, but you do have the athletes that don't have that mindset. So then they don't, they don't carry it forward into their business. But the athletes that have developed that discipline of hard work, that's going to carry over into a job that have learn the ability to build relationships and work together to accomplish something. I mean, that's just such hands-on experience that you're getting in the sports arena to cross over into your next job or your next area of life, even relationships. Um, you know, overcoming hard obstacles or challenges. Uh, are you going to give in when you've lost 10 games in a row or do you find a way to, to right the ship and move forward? So it's all skills that if athletes really take time to learn, it just makes their next life, their next chapter. I don't want to say easier, but it sets them up for success. Right. Right. Tell me, tell me about your book, The Confident Athlete. Okay. The, the confident athlete, uh, I'll have to tell you the story about the creation of it. Uh, growing up, I made extremely good grades, except anything involved in writing. So if I turned in a paper, it was like, great content, Tammy, horrible writing, you know, redo. Um, book reports were always just a kind of a source of anxiety for me. And I believed it enough, heard it enough, told myself that enough, even had uh, my senior English teacher in high school hand me back a book report. Now, this book report I was writing during snow days, so I had an extra few days, and I was like, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to show I can do it. Well, I was so proud. I was ready for the grade. She hands it back and said, F, too good to be yours. And so it just fed into <laughs> that belief that I had that I couldn't write. So I carried that moving on forward. Like I started with coaching. I never wrote anything with, you know, if I could get on the phone and talk to an athlete, I was going to do that more than I have to write an email. 
but then I get into the mental coaching and I would go and talk to teams, you know, did some keynote speaking and people would say, you need to, to write a blog. You need to write a book. No, no, I don't write. I don't write. I just speak. I just talk. And it was an easy out. <laughs> and I had a, a coach that I was working with at the time. He was a soccer coach. And he said, why don't you write a book? No, no, use my normal excuse. And he goes, hmm, doesn't sound like you're the middle coach I want working for me then. I was like, okay. So he said, let's write it together. I'll do the writing, you do the material. Okay, great, this is an easy out for me, right? And then he had a new job and it took him away. And so I threw myself a pity party. Yep, see, it just wasn't meant for me to write. And had another good friend. Again, the importance of relationships and having people in your life. But, and she reminded me, hmm, again, I don't know if I'd want you to be my mental game coach if you're just giving in that easily. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write on, you know, if someone were to ask me to speak, number one thing I just pull out of my back pocket is on confidence. And she's like, just write the way you go in to a team and talk. Okay. So the book is very simply written. It's more of a how-to. Here's the principle. I share a story of an athlete I've worked with or watched or a personal story myself that fits that principle. And then I give you some exercises to apply to try to build and maintain confidence in your life. So the why of writing the book, first and foremost, was to prove to myself and others I could write. And so it was kind of releasing, cutting the chain of that self-limiting belief I had. And second portion of that, why one of the reasons why I put confidence and why I like to talk about confidence so much. At times in high school and college, I was probably the most confident person in the room. And then at other times, probably the most unconfident person. And I was on a roller coaster. It was based on how good was the last game or even that last shot. Oh, if I hit it, I, I was Michael Jordan. If I missed it, uh, what's wrong with me? Or even the feedback, you know, from a coach. Oh, why didn't the coach tell me that was a good job? So it was just a constant, you know, exhaustion of that up and down. And so uh, informally, again, in college, I thought there's got to be an easier way to life. And so I just started trying to read about confidence and how I could own it. I think I had thought early on that you're either born with it or you're not. And I started simple, easy exercises that if I practice this, like I do my physical skills, confidence can be mine. Um, so I wanted to share, I don't talk about my experience in the book, but I wanted to share all of those years of research, of reading and incorporate it into a kind of an easy guide for athletes and even non-athletes. I mean, all the examples are sports, but again, you can apply it to any area. So Very cool. that's, the way, that's the way I became an author. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. You know, and that, it's funny too, because I, I didn't do it intentionally, but in my high achievers mindset secrets, when I started putting that course together, I got through a number of modules and I thought, I got to start adding some stories that aren't sports. <laughs> and then I thought, no, I'm just giving in. They're just, that's what I know. I'm going to stay with sports. 
So what are, what are some of the practices for an athlete to increase their confidence? Okay, um, in the book, I define four main areas. The, uh, your talk, your self-talk, so talking the talk, uh, your body language and how you handle yourself, uh, your actions you take, and I call that walk the walk. I mean, we all heard talk the talk, walk the walk. Then uh, visualization, the kind of the seed you plant in your mind of, am I confident? So I want to plant that image of a confident Tammy. I want to see myself confidently overcoming challenges and performing my skills. And then the fourth step is preparation. Um, it's hard to be confident if you haven't put in the work. And I think a lot of people do put in the physical work, but they don't add the mental work with it. Um, so talk the talk, um, I don't know, I give about probably 12 to 15, again, simple little exercises. But when something's simple, it can be as effective as something is hard. But when it's simple, it's as easy not to do as it is to do. And I think people think, oh, that's simple, I won't do it. Uh, so I want to encourage people, just small daily actions can help us. So talk the talk. One of them is rubber band. I wear a rubber band and every time negative, I don't have to pop myself anymore. I can look at it and think, no, I need to change that. Um, but I have athletes pop it when they have a negative thought. And then I ask them to change it to a P-square, positive or productive. I, I don't prescribe to this belief that everything is positive. Um, I think sometimes having productive comments to ourselves and others is more effective than, hey, it's okay, or keep your head up. Uh, if you would have told me it was okay when I missed a shot, I would have probably said, no, it's not. You know? <laughs> but give me a productive comment of what to do on the next shot, or go make up for it on defense, or, you know, so. I don't like to say everything's positive. I, you know, when you say talk the talk, I think that's one of our, can be our biggest downfall fall, or our biggest strength is the habitual questions that we're always asking ourselves or the comments we're making to ourselves because that's what I've seen with a lot of, you know, very good athletes is their self-talk can be so hard on themselves. And that's why you see the roller coaster so so what are, what as a as a coach or a player however you want to look at it what do you tell an athlete when you know let's say it's your star athlete and they've missed the last five shots down the court what where do you do you just pull out the elastic do you what where do you start <laughs> Well, you know, hopefully I've built the foundation before that situation happens. And what I like to teach athletes and teams is the, using the visualization piece. Imagine you have missed five in a row and how are you going to handle that next shot? And I believe the more you stay in the moment, the more successful you can be. Um, people like to debate this with me, but it's almost impossible to have a negative emotion in the present moment. All of our frustrations, anxiety, lack of confidence, frustrations come from something that happened in the past, even if it was just the last shot, or thinking ahead too far to the future and creating anxiety or what will happen. 
So one of the things I like to do is give exercises of teaching them how to stay in the moment. Um, or how do we move a mistake ritual or a reset button? Um, different athletes like to call it different things. But as soon as I make that mistake and I'm getting negative, what's my reset button? All right, now get to the present moment. Um, favorite acronym, I stole this. I wish I knew who I could give credit to, but is WIN. We all like to WIN, W-I-N. Um, but what's important now? And, and so just ask, what's important now? And, you know, if, if I'm thinking what's important now, that missed shot isn't going to affect me because I'm too busy thinking, you can't have two thoughts at one time. So I'm too busy thinking, what am I going to do now? Um, so, you know, I, I think it's good when I can share experiences that I've had as an athlete, because I've tried all this and all of my whatever I do and sharing that. And I have failed and I've had successes and I can see the importance of it. Um, I, I was in a basketball game for a championship one time. I was known as a shooter, not a great defender by any means. And I had missed, I think I was like 0 for 11. And if I had not started to work on my mindset, I have no doubt I would have been useless for that game. But I used all of this that I teach, and it was focused on what's important next. And it was probably the best defensive game I've ever played. And the game was tied, I don't know, a few seconds left, and I got fouled. And for a second, I started thinking, oh, gosh, what if you miss? You've missed every shot you've taken. And I don't know. You know, this is an opportunity to forget about all that other stuff that happened. And I just kind of went through my normal foul shot routine, felt confident. Um, I had visualized that shot hundreds of times in my head. You know, I would go to bed every night, imagine it hitting the game winner. And so it felt comfortable, boom, I hit it, you know. And, and I like to tell that story, not, not to brag about myself or boast about myself, but how I, I get it. You know, athletes are like, you don't understand. I, I'm oh for whatever. No, I get it. I've been there. And I can tell you the importance if, you keep your brain alive mentally, something good can happen. That's one thing I do with my team is when they have something that's frustrating to them, whether it's missing shots or whatever it is, something that they can say next. And I had some last year that I'd actually have them, you know, like touch their left shoulder or something. My daughter used to, she had next written on the toe of her shoe. And she could just look at that and, you know, that kind of clued her. So I, I love that. So thank you for sharing that. And I like I, it. I love it. I'm going to have to share that with some athletes. Now, something else that is really interesting to me because of your experience, you know, you can have an athlete, a star athlete in high school, moving on to D1. It's such a different world. So how do you deal with that mindset and how do you deal with the confidence, emotions, everything involved there? Because going from thinking, oh man, I worked my butt off in high school to all of a sudden, man, this is a full-time job. <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, again, hopefully there's some work done on the forefront of, I, I think too often you have a handful of those athletes that they were probably were better off division two or division three. Uh, but they want, they want to go play D1. So when I am working with the high school athletes, I really take time to discuss their why. 
why are you playing basketball or, or another sport? And is it, are you playing for playing time? Or are you playing for something bigger, a bigger purpose to be a part of a team? And, and there's really no right or wrong, but it's important to know why you're doing something. And you can kind of come back that, to that as a guide. Very rarely, the number one reason people play is for playing time. So you have to keep reminding them, this isn't why you played. You wanted to play, you wanted to play to take you to a big university to get a great education, to be a part of a team. You're getting that, focus on that. Or you wanted to, whatever it is and get reminding them, are they being true and living to their why? Um, so I think first and foremost, make sure it's a good fit and you're division one that you want it to be a job um, and that you're willing to put in that work. If not, there's nothing wrong with division two. I played division two. I mean, it's, there is a good balance there. Um, but then second of all, it's really staying true to your why and focusing more on what, again, what you need to do now instead of the outcome. If I am sitting on the bench pouting that I'm not playing, then most likely when I go in the game, I'm not going to be ready if and when I'm given a shot. So it's what are you doing mentally and physically to prepare yourself for that moment if there's an injury, if there's foul trouble, and then earning that and making it tough on the coach. So that's, I try to change the focus a lot of focus on you and you being the best player you can be. And then it's amazing, not always, but it's amazing how things take care of themselves. Well, I think it's important too, to somehow get that across to the parents. Because I think parents, not every parent, but a lot of them put that pressure, why aren't you playing more? Or you should be playing more. And sometimes the athlete, they're not okay with it, but they've accepted their role, but then they have to go home or they're on the phone with their parent and they're hearing that. So, you know, I, I try again to work with a lot of parents as well of how do they help their athlete set themselves up for success. So continue on that. How, what are some of the things you deal with with parents to teach them that? Well, I, I think everything a, a parent does, I mean, we start very young. What parents do, we learn. We model their behavior. And so how does a parent handle not getting that big sell? at work or not that, that big job or project. And we internalize and we learn that watching how they respond. So, so again, that's the forefront of the work. But the second one is applying everything I've talked about earlier on the confident athlete. Like I've twisted it. I need to write just the confident parent probably, but applying the skills I put in there to their child. Okay, tell me what was positive or, or productive about your game today. Or, you know, the body language of a parent is so influential on so many athletes when they're playing. Like I'm working with a young lady, she's not a basketball player, but another sport right now. And she immediately finds her dad in the stands and based off her, her reaction determines her confidence. Now, I'm trying to teach her how to own her own confidence, but at the same time, if the dad could help, then you know that goes a long way to helping your athlete. Uh, I think Pete Carroll said it best. I read something one time where he said, parents and coaches 
during games need to be the best poker player or cheerleader. So when there's something bad, we're not showing that or demonstrating it. Because nine times out of 10, the athlete already knows they did something bad. And right. they don't need that reaffirmed by the body language from coaches or, you know, now I know coaches have to when it's bad, destructive behavior. But as far as missing a shot, if they see that from the coach or the parent, then unfortunately that can, you know, affect the child's confidence. You know, I, I, I had a girl in Canada that I coached throughout junior from elementary up to junior high. And I went back up to Canada to watch her play in a high school game. And after the game, she says, when you cheered, I could still, your voice still stuck out in my head. I could hear you over everybody else. And so obviously your parents are going to be the same thing. So if, if the dad's over there yelling at the coach for anything, that kid's going to pick it up. It, <laughs> and they think you're helping the child or backing the child, but they're creating this conflict. This is my dad. This is my coach. Who do I listen to? And, yeah. and so I call it the triangle approach. If parents want their athletes to be successful, everyone in the triangle, athlete, parent, coach, have to be on the same page. And right. backing the coach, unless, again, it's something detrimental, I get that there's this isn't 100% foolproof. But if you back the coach in their decisions and their game plan, your athlete is going to be more successful. Even if you think they're not getting the playing time or playing the position they want to play. Um, yeah. I, mean, I just fully believe that. I mean, you're teaching your athlete future skills, how to deal with being passed over at work or, you know. So. Yeah, no, exactly. I agree with you. So what are your thoughts with athletes when it comes um, fixed mindset versus growth mindset? Obviously, very supportive of the growth mindset. Um, actually, it's one of the ways I distinguish. People will say, can I get too confident? And no, I don't believe anyone can be too confident. But then they're like, well, where does cockiness come in? And I think that's one of the biggest distinctions. If you're cocky, you have that fixed mindset. You know it all. You're not comfortable out of your comfort zone. And you know, you're you're defending yourself and you gotta talk about right. it. If you're just really confident, that's a strong correlation. You probably have a good growth mindset and you're open to learning and growing and developing and what is the good in this situation? You know, what is good about us losing so you can learn and grow. Um, again, I can't take credit for this. I stole this a long time ago, but you want to be a learner or a loser? And the losers had that fixed mindset. And when they lose, even if they just lose that possession, but much less a game, then they complain, pout, blame. One or the other. Let it affect their confidence or blame other people. But that growth mindset, they're going to learn. Regardless of what happens, this is the bigger part of the whole journey. What am I learning so it helps me? the next possession, the next game, the next season. You know, it's it's been interesting as I've learned more about the fixed mindset and growth mindset. And because I've been so involved with my daughter's coaching from a young age, 
I've even sat down with her and had these conversations as I've taught her these um, different scenarios. And, you know, you can have a fixed mindset in one area of growth in another. And I said, you know, there are areas that my impact helped create a fixed mindset that I didn't, it's because I didn't know any better. You know, as we focus more on outcomes than we did on um, the process. And I think overall, if I would have known some of these things back then, I could have helped her be a better athlete and be better able to handle some of the things that came along. But yeah, there was times that I wish I would have known some of the things now that I that had known it back then. So I could have helped her in different ways, but it's interesting, even from her perspective, looking at it and saying, okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about and how that happened. But yeah, I think as you, with your athletes, focus more on the process and help them create a growth mindset, it's going to help them so much overall in not just their athletics, but in life. Right. That reminds me of an exercise kind of tying in the parent role or even the coach role and the growth mindset and staying confident. But one exercise I ask that coaches and or parents do depending if I'm working on it with a team or an individual, is after every, hopefully after every practice, but definitely after every game, five ones. Five specific things you did well and one thing you want to work on to get better by the next game, next practice. Um, so you're learning and growing. And people are like, five, one, there's a lot more. What you focus on grows. We don't need to never work on the things that are bad, but if we really keep building what we are doing well, it's amazing how other things start to come along when we keep that focus. Um, so that, that's just a simple exercise that I challenge. Again, if it's an individual and the parent wants to help, hey, ask them in the car afterwards um, or ask them once they have the chance, time to cool down or whenever the appropriate time to talk to them. Um, when I work with teen coaches will say, hey, don't forget your five ones tonight. You know, just to kind of, ideally you keep them in a journal where you can look back because that's a great boost of confidence when you read where you've come and everything that you've progressed toward. So tell me also about This Is Good. This Is Good is based off the uh, whole idea that we're talking about, the mindset of can you find the good in what is happening right now? It came from an African folk tale that I've probably told, I don't know, for 15, 20 years now. And it was just this folk tale that just resonated with me. And it's kind of a cheesy story, but the idea, the premise behind it is nothing's good or bad till we decide it is. And can you keep your mind alive, mentally alive, long enough to allow something different, but yet maybe better? to come along or to present, prevent something worse from happening. And so I tell this story with every team I work with. Um, you know, some people, when I tell it, oh my gosh, that's great. And they really start applying it to their life. Others hear it, okay, that, that's a cute story, but then they forget about it. Others kind of roll their eyes a less cheesy. Um, but this past year, this team I was working with, it was a soccer, collegiate soccer team. They bought in it like I have never seen before. 
I mean, they were all about this is good. And it's a good thing because about any adversity that could possibly happen to this team did. From not winning, I, I think it was almost two months before they won their first match. So they went all of August, almost all of September without winning. The injuries, we counted it up. It's, it's in the book and I forget numbers, but just a crazy amount of injuries and the next person having to step up. You know, going to big competitions and the bus breaking down, not once, but twice. And you're on the side of the road. You know, deaths in the family, illnesses. I mean, it, it was just a crazy season. And I remember talking to them in September when they haven't won yet. And you guys have every right to check out mentally. Almost every team would, but they hadn't. Now, there was some frustration and some negative, a little bit, but not what you would expect. And they kept just going back to that story and collectively together, what we created wasn't what anyone would have dreamed or what they said they wanted to happen, but it was so much better. And the power they realized they had in themselves was, was just fascinating. I mean, it, it made every minute I gave to that team work that, and I would do it again in a heartbeat just to see them reap the rewards that they did. And so the book is part telling the story, but also sharing the exercises or the lessons that we learned along the way. So anyone could take it and apply it to any adversity that you may be facing. Um, and the whole idea is you got to see adversity as your best friend. Because without adversity, you don't know how good you can be. And once we start changing our mindset to embracing the adversity, then we can start to reach our full potential. So does that tie in with using, I know you've got a confidence journal as well. The, the confidence journal kind of ties in more with the confident athlete. Okay. Um, we came after the confident athlete. Um, it's based off of, I need to send you a copy, but I do a monthly confidence calendar. I don't know if you've seen that on social media. And so every month, I every single day, I put a confidence tip or a quote for an activity that I challenge you to do that day. Um, they're based on themes. So Tuesday is Talk to Talk Tuesday. So Wednesday's Walk the Walk. So it'll have something about body language or how you know act taking action. Uh, Thursday is Thankful Thursday, because when we focus on our you know gratitude, it, it's hard to again it's the growth mindset. If you're focusing on something good, you forget what's bad. So anyway, every day has its theme that I try to build that day around. So someone said you need to have a month, a year calendar. Well, that, that was kind of hard to create or whatever. So I thought, well, I'll put it in a journal. So I, I took maybe a tip that I've given on Make a Difference Monday and put that at the, the header of the journal. And then the page is blank. So, you know, I give suggestions of how to use the journal. Use it as you apply the exercises in the Confident Athlete or just take it and how does that quote or saying resonate with you that day and exploring your confidence or just use it as a journal of whatever you're journaling. So it's, it, it's very, here it is, this is yours, you do what you want, but trying to give people ideas of how to incorporate it. Are these all available on Amazon? Yes, all three okay. are on. 
Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And, and the confidence calendar is free. If anyone wants it, just send me an email and I can put you on the email list. Okay, for sure. And what I have it, but tell me your email. Actually, tell me all your contact websites, emails, everything, just so I can share that as well. Email is Tammy at r2lc.com. Website, uh, r2lc.com. That stands for Refuse to Lose Coaching. I know that confuses people, but abbreviating it there. Twitter, I have two handles, uh, at Tammy Matheny. That one is for the confident athlete, and it's just daily confidence stuff. It's just 99% confidence stuff. And then I have an R2L coaching that you get the full gamut of leadership, mindset, anything in the realm. Again, about 99%. 1% might have to see pictures of my dog or something. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Instagram is refuse to lose coaching, all spelled out. Facebook, I do have a group for parents. It's called Parents and the Mental Game. And then another Facebook group, This Is Good. Thank you. I, I could talk about this all day. I, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I like to talk and uh, I especially like to talk about things that I'm passionate and believe in. So yeah. I've seen a difference that it's made in my life. And I know when people intentionally start to create a better mindset, the difference that it'll make in their life. So I, I, I can't share or encourage people how important that is. No, I, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to staying in touch because I love your thoughts and I look forward to reading your books too. Well, thank you for having me. I, I love meeting new people, like, like-minded people that are making a difference and applying this stuff.